quote, Anne Hathaway's character Brand from Interstellar, written by Jonathan and Christopher Nolan. Love is one thing we're capable of perceiving that transcends dimensions of time and space. Maybe we should trust that, even if we can't understand it. Welcome to Nerd Out, the show where we love to talk about movies and TV shows and video games and comic books and books and also music and sometimes food. Uh, We are here to talk about, yes, various things we have consumed, but also we're going to be going through Christopher Nolan's filmography and have a bit of a retrospective, which I'm looking forward to a lot. Um, I will now introduce the voices that you will be hearing as we go through this journey. Myself is Sandro Felcher. That was an awkward way to say it, but I'm going to stand by it. I will die on this hill. The other voices you will hear are two of the greatest nerds in the galaxy. Jen Spears, how you doing? I'm well, I'm well. Please don't die on that hill, Sandro. Who's going to do our run sheet? (laughs) That we get like two minutes before the show starts. We'll go, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah. I'd love to just share that with you all, our run sheets. Um, uh, You know what? It leaves room for, for... uh, spontaneity and um, and creative license. It literally says intro, whoever's doing the intro, this, 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 and then plugs. And I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's good. Well, I don't need someone to tell me what I have to, what I'm going to talk about. Cause you know what? My best stuff, as you guys know, my best material is unprepared. Very, very unprepared. That is so, like um, so, that's like so many of my year nine drama students when I go. All right, <laughs> so the most important part of this is to prepare, rehearse. They go, no, it's all right, Mister Lloyd. We'll do it. We'll we'll, we'll just improvise. We'll just improvise, yeah. Mister Lloyd. We're good. We're good with improvisation. Oh, really? <laughs> you want to talk to me about whether you could do improvisation well? Okay, <laughs> bring it, oh, children. Yeah. We used to have run sheets because we used to do the news, and the news used very to be on true. the run sheet. But uh, I don't know. I th- I keep doing it because tradition's important. And our news segments used to go as long as Channel 10 news, so like three hours. And then we'd go, oh, we've only got five minutes to review what we've been consuming (laughs) lately. What have you been doing? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Well, I'm I'm happy to be here with you, Sandro. Thank you. Oh, no worries. Um, What's next on the run sheet? Introduce Rob. (laughs) How you doing, Rob? All right, all right, all right. Um, So I'll just drop in that McConaughey reference because you mentioned Interstellar, so... I tried to be cool, but then me referring to it took away the cool, which means I'm on a nerd podcast, so me not being cool is actually cool. Um, yeah, but nerds are cool in 2020 we, now look, as well. Yeah, so. yeah, the geeks have inherited the earth. Look, it's it's been a big week in nerd. There's been the um, uh, the DC fandom has uh, just exploded online, and they've actually been quite impressive. DC have gone, this is us, this is our brand, this is what we're doing, we are in control of this. And um, it's been really impressive. The feedback from, you know, all the nerd community has been, DC has, I think, gotten their shit together. We'll see. I I think so, yeah. We can briefly talk about that, I guess. Yeah, there was finally a trailer for the Batman, even though they've only shot, like, 25% of that movie. We got a trailer, so good on them for finding something to show us. That was really cool. It's a good trailer. I think it's a... a, I was a bit, eh, another Batman, but I watched the trailer and went, oh, okay. There's things in there that are what, like Colin Farrell looks friggin' outstanding mm. as the Penguin. He looks unrecognizable. 
I'm there going, that's right, Colin Farrell's an actor. Remember that time when he was an actor and then he tried to be a superstar and then he went back to being an actor and now he's kind of being a superstar again, but he is actually an actor. It's, I it's, love Colin Farrell. I do mm. too. And that's what disappointed me was when he, like, it's like the same with Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner was a brilliant actor, then he tried to become a superstar and then he, his ego took over. Then he went back to being an actor and now he's kind of a superstar again, which is pissing me off. What would you consider Colin Farrell's moment of wanting to be a superstar? Oh, when, like, that, that, that's like late 90s, early noughties era when he was like doing Alexander and he was um, doing... Yeah, he did that yeah. weird sniper movie. Uh, what was that? Some weird like shoot him up. Um, yeah, well, because like when he first started, he was on like Bally Kiss Angel, this old school 90s, um, uh, you know, uh, BBC title, well, ITV drama. Uh, he was in that and then he got, you know, his big break um, uh, doing stuff like Phone Booth and replacing Matt That's Damon. It. And replacing Matt Damon on Minority Report, uh, but then he became yeah, like he did like SWAT. Remember SWAT? SWAT. That's the one I meant, not Sniper. <laughs> he's. Be- I think Colin Farrell is best when he's allowed to keep his accent. Yes. Um, and when he's working with a script written by an Irish person, i.e., Mac- um, a McDonough. There, it's mine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anything yes. McDonough, and he could do no wrong. Yeah, don't disagree with that. So yeah, um, but yeah, I, I think. The Batman trailer looks fantastic. It's got a really clear style, even if they have only shot 25% of it so far, but it's definitely separate from Nolan's, separate from um, uh, uh, Burton. Uh, The costume looks really functional and actually Mm. better than... It looks better with him moving in it than that first bit of red and black footage that they showed. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, So not much shown, but yet it's... You know, you hear a bit of circus, you see a little bit of um, uh, Jeffrey Wright, so um, yeah, the tone looks good, and I like the fact that he, he actually they they lean into him having the black eye makeup on to distinguish when he's got the mask on, because like in every other Batman film, he's clearly <laughs> got the, the black eyeliner under his eyes, perfect and, and black makeup, yeah, yeah, and then he like rips his mask off and it's gone. So I like how they've leaned into that, and yep. he looks kind of cool with it on. The e- living the emo life, exactly. Yeah, yeah. This is um, Bryce Wayne. Is the name of this character. <laughs> so emo, so emo. I stole that joke from someone else, but he's a lead singer of like Panic at the Batcave or something. <laughs> Panic at the Batcave. Oh wow, look at the references. But yeah, also like wow. showing Suicide Squad. The the oh, new, yes. the final uh, Wonder Woman trailer was incredible. Um, a uh, little sneak preview of um, showing sort of like the concept art for Black Adam. Um, mm. All the all the games uh, trailers have been like universally praised, so it's um They're pretty good. Yeah, and and like they've just DC have gone. Yep, this is all multiverse stuff. This is what we're going to do. We're not going to be like Marvel, which is you have to ad- adhere to our strict reality and guidelines that we're doing. DC have just gone. All right, then we'll do. You know, we'll do the multiverse. We'll do Elseworlds. We'll do everything, and and mm. people can accept that now because you know they they don't need to mollycoddle people. They can just go here. This you know, Batman doesn't connect with with this world, but this world connects with this world, and we can flip it over a bit, and that's why we can have Michael Keaton coming back for a Flash yes. movie, and he's going to be wearing the exact same bat suit, which is also going to have Ben Affleck in it. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, that yeah, that that sounds fantastic yeah um i'm really excited to see where they take the world i'm also am excited to see the snyder cut i mean the two Zack snyder dc films i don't mind them but they're not 
they're not great and they've got a lot of issues but i am interested to see what happens with this four-hour movie i'm not excited but i will see it and i was so annoyed with the trailer because he's just treading old ground if anyone has seen any Zack snyder's film he's used leonard cohen's hallelujah already he's like he used it in watchmen and i'm just there going yes, right, he did. Okay. yeah okay don't you think anyone will know? Um, so I'm there going, look, it's, I'm not sure if it's going to be a better film because I didn't like Snyder's vision of things, but it'll be, mm. it'll be less of a, it'll be a, a pure film. It'll be the vision that he wanted. So as yeah. opposed to the mess yeah. that was Justice League. Yeah. I'm, I'm more excited for it as a piece of a studio letting a creative do whatever the hell he wants mm. rather than the film itself. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, but also, you know, Ben Affleck, I, I really like his Batman. So any more of that, please, I will love to yeah, see. Yeah, I really liked him too. Especially that one training sequence. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a um, tragic, you know it. Um, I'm, yeah, I, I, I'm not a fan how, how they went. Um, we had quite a violent Batman. Let's make him even more violent. Um, so I didn't <laughs> like the branding and I didn't like the open killing. But I did like the fact that they finally put on screen an older Batman. I've all, yeah, like, you know, because that's kind of what I grew up with in the comic books is, you know, you've got Bruce, you know, when, when Tim Drake joined in the nineties, that's when I got into comics. So Batman had already been around for, for, you know, at least two decades. And so he was old and, you know, he's got a bit of gray on him. I like that. I like that version of Batman, not the full Dark Knight Returns or Batman Beyond version of Bruce Wayne, but I like that version when he is clearly well established. He is like the head of the Bat family. They're they're all off doing things. They can come in and around. Um, so yeah, I like that kind of Affleck leaned into that really well. I've, I said leaned in a lot. I should probably that's cool. I should lean yeah. lean out of using that phrase. Um, Ooh, now nah, own it. Die on that hill. <laughs> yeah. We're all about dying on our respective hills. Oh, yeah, we're all using the phrases. And I should be getting later Definitely. this week, uh, finally, season six of Flash, so I can watch um, season, oh. season six of Flash, because I haven't seen any of it. You're still watching Flash. I like it. Look, nice. I'm one of the few people who actually like season five. I like the introduction of his daughter from the future. I liked the daughter, but then they were like, and the character who's going to have the most to do with the daughter is Iris again. Barry's now the least, most interesting character in the show. <laughs> They're being like, oh, Damn it! The show is called Flash. Just let the Flash be the main character. Yeah. But, yeah. And Sandra will die on that Flash hill. He'll, he'll yeah, die on he'll die on this hill. God damn it! Yeah. Um. So many hills. The big, they released the crossover events as like a whole DVDs. So I've got all of those. Oh, and I just okay. picked up Infinite Earth, and that was like because Elseworlds was the last one, and that was a bit disappointing. Um, but yeah. Um, was that the one where they swap bodies? Um. Elseworlds. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um. Crisis on Infinite Earth would actually done quite well. Okay. Yeah, I haven't... I am still... Uh, I think halfway through season five of The Flash was when I kind of stopped watching all those shows. Right. I might go back at some point, but I'm not, I'm not too sure. If Stargirl crosses over, I probably will, because I love Stargirl. I've heard good things about Stargirl, so yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's very fun. Uh, but now let's talk about a question. I think it's time that we ask <laughs> for a question. And... A question uh, that you will shout from your hill. A question. Okay, I'm just going to stop. I'm, I'm going to stop that now. Maybe. <laughs> a question that has been shouted from so many hills across the entire... In fact, I don't think there is a single hill on the earth that this question hasn't been shouted I think from. the one-armed man shouted it before he shot on that grassy knoll at that time. <laughs> I think so. Was that a long shot? 
<laughs> it, was a, it was a magic bullet. Oh, sorry, Sandro, continue. What, what question? I want to know what question it is. The question is, Rob, <laughs> what have you been consuming lately? Oh my gosh, I wasn't expecting that. Um, well, because I haven't checked the run sheet. Are we doing just one consuming lately or are we doing a couple? <laughs> Just as much, just, just whatever you want. How many names, how many versions of our names did you flip over and over again? So, oh, just one. We're just, just going one? through our Okay, okay, okay. okay. Yeah. Well, I'll talk about, I've been on a bit of a, um, a sports drama uh, binge recently. I thought you uh, were just going to say sports and I was like, Rob. Well, I am. Welcome. Not, well, I am like, you know, I've got my routine now. So I'm like working out Love in the that. morning and I'm going for a walk every afternoon, yep. evening, whether it's raining or, or, you know, or freezing or whatever. But no, yep. I've, um, I've, uh, I finally watched, uh, Ride Like a Girl, which is the, cool. um, Aussie film that came out last year about Michelle Payne winning the Melbourne, uh, the Melbourne cup. Um, uh, star-studded cast like Therese Palmer, um, uh, Sam Neill, Madison Spansy's there for a little bit, Genevieve Morris, who's incredible, um, uh, Stevie Payne actually plays himself in it, um, and doco, doco dramas are always hard when you cover a life of someone because they skip ahead massive amounts of time, they go two years later, five years later, all that type of stuff, but it's a good little insight into um, uh the family behind Michelle Payne. I don't know if much of you know about the first female jockey to win the Melbourne Cup, um, and just her family story. I never knew about. She comes. She's the youngest of ten children. All the race family, uh, all the riders. Um, her mother died when she was very, very young. Um, her her sister died when she was uh, quite young as well. Uh, as uh, she was a professional writer as well and all the trauma she had to get through uh, drama and trauma to get to the Melbourne Cup is just insane so um, mm. um, it's it's it, like it's not the best film but there's it, there's some beautiful shots in there the performances are really good um, and there's a good there's a good tone to it um, which is uh, which is fun so I give that about um, I give it yeah I give it one thumb up Um and uh, what I've really been into is I'm a massive cricket fan. I'm a massive, massive cricket fan. And one of the yeah. um, uh, most heartbreaking moments of my life was uh, uh, the Sandpapergate scandal in South mm. Africa. Um, it ripped me apart because I, I, mm. I was raised on cricket by my mum. She told me the, the stories, the legends of Lily and Ciappelli and, um, you know, Marshy and all this type of stuff. I, and I was there at the point when... Australian cricket was at its lowest point and Alan Border changed everything and that legacy carried on into Mark, you know, Mark Taylor and then into Steve Waugh, then into Ricky Ponting yeah. and then into uh, this type of stuff. So they have did this doco series uh, called The Test, which is on um, yeah. Amazon, which is an eight-part mm-hmm. series. Now, I know there are some... Yeah, um, there are some of you out there who go, you know, what could be more boring than watching cricket? Watching an eight hour doco drama about cricket that is what i call that's what i call heaven but other people would call absolute torture so it's it follow it's this uh film crew got unlimited access to follow the australian cricket team from the appointment of justin langer former player as the new coach um through about two years from from that point just after cape town and um sandpaper gate all the way up to their ashes bid um at the in the uh at the start of 2019 so it goes through 
everything, how they dealt with the controversy, how yeah. Justin Lang had to come in and rebuild his the Australian team and what the reputation of the Australian cricket team and what that legacy was and what that legacy meant. Um, because, yeah, a part of American culture, that, that romantic mysticism or mythology they put into baseball with films like... Um, uh, the natural films like Field of Dreams, Field like you know, um, um, A League of Their Own kind of romanticizes sport and baseball and how it connects to the culture. But we as Australians yeah. haven't, we have that connection, especially with cricket and that romanticism, but we haven't brought it onto the screen that mm. much. Uh, but this doco series covers it just. Um, the camaraderie, the the, rep, the 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 pain, the the drama, the you know how Test series has five days of drama and things can change, which I just adore, and the analyzing of all the players and their reflection on it, um, and the reintroduction of Steve Smith and uh, David Warner and Bancroft back into the team after their years break, how they were the hostility they they got when they went to the UK, um, just. All of that, the, the the ex-legends of Australian cricket who Langer played with, who he brought back in. So Steve Waugh came back, um, uh, uh, Adam Gilchrist came back for a little bit, um, uh, you know, um, Matthew Hayden, all these legends of Australian cricket over the last 20 years uh, helped Justin Langer out. And a great quote that he said was, uh, that he has on his on 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 his wall. He said, "I never went to Harvard, but I hire people who did." <laughs> um, hmm. So it's a great humble quote about uh, that he follows. So it's it, uh, I just loved it. I absolutely adored it, and it's like two thumbs up. It was I was in hogs heaven. It's just everything. Yeah. <laughs> we watched um we watched one episode and loved it. So I we need to get back and finish it. But from what I saw, it, it's really really well done yeah i devoured it in like two days i like stayed yeah. up late um sunday night watching it till like about two in the morning um and because it's like i devoured the last dance because i remember you jen reviewed it a couple of months ago mm. and so i've watched that um last couple of weeks and that was a great watch as well so um yeah, yeah the test on uh, amazon prime it is awesome uh what about you jen what have you been consuming lately um, or you just talking about sport dramas actually just reminded me, um, it was a little while ago now that I watched it, but um, I binged in one night and then I finished the last episode the next morning because it was like 3 a.m. and I realized I had to go to bed. Um, I watched um, the TV show Cheer on Netflix, which is a one series, I think it's eight-part documentary about um, the Navarro School, uh, which is a col- it's like a community college in Corsicana, Texas, and their um, their cheer team, um, coached by the amazing Monica Aldama. Um, and it's all about their journey to the um, the championships in um, I can't think of the name, but it was a racing game at the arcade. Was it? Um, you know, the like car racing. Can't think of the Daytona. Thank you. It's a real place. <laughs> That's how I know the name. It's from that racing game. So it's the cha- the the national championships in Daytona, and they're um like five time winners. Um, this team, and it's all about them creating their routine for that. And it's so addictive. Like a lot of people look at cheerleading as just like a bunch of dancing, but it's like dance, it's gymnastics, the injuries that they sustain, and the work that they do. It's amazing. Anyway, that's not what I was going to talk about, but it reminded me, and it's really really good and I was like crying and up applauding and like I was had sweaty palms I was so nervous at times but um it's really interesting and even Patty like got caught I kind of caught him 
watching it as well. Um, even though to begin with, he was probably like, I don't really want to watch something about cheerleading, but um, really, really cool. What I did want to talk about, and I actually consumed this literally since we last recorded, um, I smashed out uh, the new, or new, late November 2019 uh, novella by my girl Becky Chambers, who I've spoken about in the past. Um, she wrote the Wayfarer series. Uh, starting with uh, Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, followed by Close in Common Orbit and then uh, Record of a Spaceborn Few, which is a – I've seen her her work now categorise as space opera, which I think does a really – that's a really good way to describe it because I have seen reviews of her work being that everybody's so lovey and everything's so wonderful and the dramas that they deal with and uh, aren't that really high stakes and blah, 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 which is cool, but sometimes you don't always need that in your sci-fi. You don't always need them to be, you know, coming up life and death situations and not everybody has to be an asshole. Um, so space opera is a really cool way to put it. Um, she released this novella. It is called To Be Taught If Fortunate, which is a uh, – a, um, paraphrase quote from the recording of one of the Voyager the Voyager Golden Record, which is a record that was sent out on Voyager, hoping that intelligent life would find it and listen to it, because of course they would have a record player at, on that. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. we'll go into that. Um so the the yeah it's a it's a quote from that and um it's a 150 pages, not even. Um it's separate to the other three books, it's separate to the Wayfair, it's a different different I assume same universe because it's literally set in the universe. Um, different characters. It's set a lot earlier than the Wayfarer series, and we haven't colonized other planets yet. We haven't. We're not living off planet. Um, majority of everyone except for these astronauts are still living on Earth and um, going through climate change. Still, um, it's set in the early twenty one hundreds. Is that how you say it? Twenty. 2107-ish okay. um, and up from there. So it's about um, four astronauts who are on a explore, basically an ex- exploratory uh, mission to four different planets um, outside of our galaxy. Um, and it's, uh, they, uh, it's all about observation. So they're not, um, they're not looking to find somewhere to live. They're just um, doing scientific research, which has been um, funded by the people so it's not a privately owned it's been funded by the people of earth um the idea is that um instead of um astronauts um changing the environment that they're going to in order for them to live in it they actually use um they transform themselves in it's really hard to explain in on their way there they um the technology is able to transform them to fit with the the environment of that planet for example they go to a planet that has very low uh sunlight so their their bodies um their skin is suddenly sparkly like a twilight vampire um, which (laughs) helps to reflect the sun and things like that so instead of getting there and changing the atmosphere around them to suit them they've actually changed themselves biologically um to suit the atmosphere so there's high lower gravity so things are heavier so in transport the Technology makes them stronger, so it completely changes their bone density and their muscle, um, their muscle mass, and everything. So um, there's a lot of. It's really interesting. Becky Chambers talks about, um, you know, she's not a scientist, but she puts these things out there, and there might she doesn't really know the science behind it, but um, 
once she makes a decision, she sticks to the rules of that decision. Um, for example, she talks about you can't have one person go out through an airlock and be killed and then later have someone else go out through the airlock and survive it because that's just cheating. So while she's, you know, there are things there that are questionable and if a scientist read it would be like, well, that's not kind of technical, that wouldn't happen because this and this and this. But um, it's still, she still works within those parameters. So it's a little bit like... Um, it's not pseudoscience because it's not even pretending to be real. Um, it's like really far out there. Like she kind of skips over the, you know, the maths of it and just looks into the, the result of what this technology can do, which is cool. Like I li really liked like the Martian, the book, the Martian, because it really delved into the mathematics and the science, yeah. which meant that you were going, Oh, Oh, this is doable. <laughs> but then it also yeah. kind of got bogged down in that where I was kind of skipping over it a lot of the time. Whereas this is the opposite where it's like, this is the technology. Here's a real vague kind of vibe idea about how it works, but this is what it means we can do, which is what I prefer most of the time for a sci-fi. I just want to get out there and see what, what this technology can make possible. Um, and so, yeah, they go to these four planets and the book is essentially meant to be a um, kind of like a diary um, of one of the astronauts um, hoping that someone on earth will get it. It takes 15 years to get to earth. So that's how delayed all the information is um, and that they'll read it and she's basically asking for specific help that I won't get into um, but poses a question to humanity basically. Um, and it's just once again like it's two thumbs up from me because once again she just blows my mind with the kind of world that she creates and the characters she creates. Um, it's uh, two women um, and two men. One is a trans man, a trans male and the other character is um, asexual. So she, and pretty much it also explores the relationships of this crew. They all kind of sleep with each other, except for obviously the asexual character. Um, and it's all this, she, the worlds that she creates and the, and she's so progressive in the kind of um, way she looks at gender and sexuality as well in the future is, is really cool. And which she's done before in all of her other books. Um, so yeah, it's, it's awesome. Definitely recommend it. I smashed it out in two sittings. Um, yeah. Once again, my mate Becky Chambers does it again. <laughs> Just <laughs> far. Respect to Beck. Yeah. Respect to Beck. And also like, if you've got any of her books, her authors, um, I showed Sandra this, her author's biography and her author image that she has on the back, um, from her first three books to now, she's like, had this like glow up not really glow up's not the right term for it but like this evolution and you can see she's just like she's got a buzz cut now she's got really awesome like uh different glasses and you're just like she's fucking rocking it like she's like it's awesome anyway um yeah so that's what i literally consumed over the weekend nice. um, what about you sandro more more candy <laughs> uh, no jerky no, no, no more candy i read the becky chambers book about two weeks Yay. ago and i also loved it i thought it was fantastic but there was one section in it which was a very claustrophobic chapter is what i'll mm -hmm. say and that oh yeah was, that was an incredible read uh yeah. you just get just drowned in the story that she tells yeah. it's phenomenal yeah. um the other book that i've been reading this week though is the outsider by stephen king Ooh. which is a standalone spin-off to his bill hodges trilogy which started with mr mercedes which is his uh his take on a hard-broiled detective novel um he wrote three of them and i read them all uh, over the course of the last month and now i'm checking out the standalone spin-off because uh, I've been going through quite a lot of King this year, partly because Jen 
quite nicely sent me a short story collection, and from then on, I've just spiraled. (laughs) Happy to uh, (laughs) enable. (laughs) But The Outsider is just fantastic. I really loved the Bill Hodges trilogy. I thought it was a lot of fun, Uh, but this is just something else. So the mystery is uh, a very horrific crime has occurred in this uh, town, and which is you know, you know the opening for almost every Stephen King yeah. novel. A very horrific <laughs> crime has occurred in this once town. upon a horrific time, a horrific <laughs> crime in a small town in Maine. <laughs> exactly. I, I think this isn't in Maine though. Oh, uh, gee, it's Ohio, which is okay. Very uh, look, strange. it was a generalization, but a lot of his mm, books he is branching out there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, well, well, along with the Bill Hodges trilogy, these books exist in our world, it seems, because they reference Stephen King movies. Ah. There's a a subtle dig in The Outsider uh, towards The Shining and him being like, Stanley Kubrick doesn't know how to do movies. (laughs) Oh, I love it. He dedicates a paragraph to the main character just making fun of Kubrick, which I thought was excellent. Love Um, that. But... The mystery is, yes, this awful crime has occurred and um, the investigators, they have got so much evidence, a ridiculous amount of evidence pointing towards this one person. They've got DNA, they've got witnesses, they've got photographs, they've got everything pointing towards this one person. So they go and arrest that person, but then find out that person has got the strongest alibi they have ever come across. <laughs> and let's just say there's some pictures as well. Oh, okay. The mystery is, how can someone be in two places at once? How can you arrest someone who you know is in two places at once? And that is Magic. the mystery that kind of goes on and on and on. Um, and Gross. it's great. It's probably the only mystery novel I've read, I was going to say this decade, but we're in a, a new decade, over the last 10 years, where I genuinely <laughs> have no idea where it's going. I really don't. A lot of mystery novels... Um, even the Bill Hodges trilogy was like, you knew pretty much what was going to happen from the first kind of chapter. You kind of like knew the the structure and where things were going to go, mainly because that trilogy was very much Stephen King does detectives. Whereas Mm. with this, it's more of a solid Stephen King novel. And I would say it's probably his best one that I've read, um, in recent years, like from 2014 onwards, I've read pretty much everything he's put out. And this is probably the best one, to be honest, this and revival. Cause it's, it's so good. The mystery is fantastic. Uh, it, it changes constantly. You are questioning everything. Um, obviously, you know, King's forte is characters and the characters Mm. are fantastic in this. The tension is great. And yeah, I've I've got about a hundred pages left, um, but I think I'm going to go two thumbs up because I am awesome. loving it. I haven't nice. actually read all that many of King's like detective-y mystery kind of ones. Mm. Um, I need to. They're yeah. good. Some of them aren't yeah. great. Um, yeah, there are some that don't work quite as well, but I think these series are, are quite good. Um, and there, there is a TV show. A mini series adaptation of The Outsider that came out in February, I think, that I've been okay. saving for Spooktober. That's kind of like what I do is I just collate all these like new horror films and new like horror TV shows and just watch them all in in October. So I'm going to go it. ahead and do that. Uh, but um, uh, Ben Mendelsohn plays the main character, and I've been reading the book yeah. with that knowledge, but I still can't picture him as the main character. So right. I'm interested to see how the show does that. But yeah, I would say if you're a King fan, The Outsider's phenomenal. You don't need to read the trilogy to get it, but if you do want to read the trilogy, read it first, because this book completely spoils it. 
So, yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, <laughs> it's one of those situations. Um, but outside of that, the other thing I wanted to talk about... Oh, I'll, actually, I'll quickly say I watched HBO Max's uh, new Looney Tunes series. Okay. Oh, yeah. And it was very good. I quite liked it. A little more simple compared to the classic cartoons, but of course it is. You know, it's it's for a younger audience, which feels weird, but I feel like those earlier cartoons weren't really for a younger audience. I don't know. I've got no. a lot of them, and they are, like, I loved them when I, when I was a kid, but then I rewatch them now, and I'm like, why did I love wow. that when I was a kid? That is yeah. Bugs Bunny punching Hitler for 10 minutes. But as a kid, you don't even, you don't know what you're looking at, really. So you don't want Bugs Bunny punching Hitler? Is that what you're saying? I'm all for Bugs Bunny punching Hitler. I am all for it. And I will die on this hill. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. We've all got a hill now. I will kill kill Hitler on this hill, love. Um, Good one. Is it true that, like, you know, they've taken out any, like, there's no guns, there's no, like, like, Elmer Fudd doesn't have any guns and um, like Yosemite Sand doesn't have any six shooters. Is it like really? Yeah, they've removed, they've removed all the guns, but there's still punch ups. There's still, there's still like yeah. explosives and everything. Just, yeah, just no guns. Oh, no guns. Well, okay. You've got to have some, yeah. you know, you got to have some TNT and you have mm. to have an anvil drop on somebody. That's Looney Tunes. Yeah, yeah exactly. You need some, <laughs> ac- you need some Acme products just on an Acme shotgun. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Um, I also love that it's not educational. Every time they've tried to reboot Looney Tunes, they've tried to make it educational, and I mm. hate it every single time. I don't want to be taught something by a cartoon. Are you kidding yeah, me? Th- there was one from, like, five years ago called... I th- I, it might have been the Looney Tunes show. I don't know. I saw it on TV once uh, in the background, and, and it was, yeah, it, it was them just trying to teach kids stuff and i was like this is not looney tunes like this is what it is it's ridiculous violence and so many puns and i'm yeah they've captured that quite well yeah yeah yeah, looney Um, tunes was never meant to be for kids it was always at the start of um it was all you know for everybody really that's Mm. like a lot of things was never meant to be just for kids like jim henson never wanted his his puppets just to be um for kids you would never want it to be pigeonholed mm. like that um but you know society has a way of you know pigeonholing you know geniuses like uh jim henson like uh bob clampett and tex avery and and uh you know the young upstart chuck jones so yes mm. yeah uh it also uh, inspired me to go out and buy the golden collection for looney tunes so i've got cool. um that box set which contains pretty much all of the classics i think um so i'm excited to go through that at some point see how some of them hold up because i'm sure some of them do not at all (laughs) but uh i am interested nonetheless and then i also watch the personal history of david copperfield the latest film from the director of death of stalin from a couple years ago which i loved amanda iannucci yes he's fantastic and this movie's fantastic and i i don't just it's great all the acting's great it's really funny i don't think i've laughed this much in a movie that's come out this year uh this is probably yeah the funniest movie of 2020 so far great uh peter capaldi is incredible hugh laurie is incredible dave patel is incredible we love Swinton dave is incredible benedict wong is probably the funniest in this i love his performance the ending's a little rushed but the book is super long and the movie's barely two hours so that was gonna you know that was gonna be the case and they change a lot based on dickens classic yes except, of well, course kind of kind of <laughs> Kind of. Loosely based. Inspired by. So that is what I have been consuming lately, which I guess means we we might move on 
<laughs> we might just walk a little bit over to the side and um, the side of what? I don't know, but we're moving to the side of something and we're going to be talking about the Christopher Nolan filmography, do a little bit of a retrospective, look through his movies, see what we think now of them, see if they've aged well, see if they haven't aged at all. I watched one of them for this episode, so that's cool. We're doing this because Tenet is out. It's receiving very mixed reviews, which I found quite interesting. I've seen some very negative reviews and some very positive oh, reviews. No. Which I feel like is kind of different for Nolan, I think. A lot of critics um, tend to give him very positive reviews. So it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Mm. I, I remember Interstellar being met quite lukewarmly as well, so... That's true. Uh, um, so yeah, it's he seems to be he's insisting on himself. If if I can uh, paraphrase a very good Family Guy quote, um, <laughs> uh, he he's very he very much takes himself incredibly seriously, and so yeah. he and so it, it's more like he's become a slave to his style as opposed to. Um, you know, using it as a way of innovating. So, um, mm. uh, but yeah, so I, I, I saw the trailer for it and I went, all right, okay, Chris, <laughs> calm down, can't calm down. He is very much one of those people you'd have a conversation with and you crack a joke and he'd go, that's it. That's funny. That's very funny. Mm. That's oh, very, yes, very funny. that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just just yeah. crack a smile. Yeah, right. He's an interesting filmmaker. I think we might start this off by talking about what we think of his films just in generally. That's not a word, but you know what I mean. Uh, Before we go through them all. But Mm. for Nolan, I used to really, really like his stuff when I was younger. And I think the reason why I have kind of soured on him a little bit in terms of his recent movies is because it, it does, as you mentioned, it feels like he's making movies in his style for the sake of them being in his style. Like my thing with Nolan was always, he makes mainstream movies for mainstream audiences, but he makes them in a way that mainstream audiences don't think they're watching a mainstream movie. So they feel really smart, but they're still mainstream movies, (laughs) Uh, which is a roundabout way to say it. But that's always (laughs) kind of been what I've thought of, of him. Like he is a film maker and I think he deserves to a point to be in the conversation alongside other uh, auteurs, if you will. But it does feel like he does a lot of stuff for the sake of it rather than for the the love of it. What about you, Spears? It's interesting that you mentioned, like, making these movies feel like, like you said, people feel smart because they feel like they're seeing something. But when you look at it, they're all blockbusters. I mean, blockbuster (laughs) is such a dirty word, isn't it? But... (laughs) Like, you're right, I'm going back through these and going, oh, yeah, you know, I, I saw that and went, oh, that's real clever, like Inception, you know, Dreamer Than a Dream and then Interstellar, Space and Time, blah. But they're, they're still literally massive blockbuster films. The other thing I just noticed going through his discography, uh, discography <laughs> sorry, Nolan, filmography is a lot. I'm looking at maybe two of his films that I've seen more than once. I've watched them and gone, mm. wow, mind-blowing. I don't need to see that again for a while. Like for a, like even talking about the ones that I want to rewatch, I'm like I, I could rewatch Inception, but fuck, I remember being exhausted after watching that. And Interstellar, same thing. Um, the Batman, a little different. Um, I actually only seen Dark Knight the one time at the cinema, and it's just one of those movies that I just haven't gone back to for whatever reason because I think in my mind they're either really long, even if they're not, or they're just a lot. I think that's my my way to describe his films a lot. 
so yeah, a lot of them I'm just like, that was awesome, but I don't need to see it again. Um, and I don't know what that means exactly. <laughs> and because I know that I'm so daunted to even like watch the ones I haven't seen, like Dunkirk and even Tenet coming out. Um, I haven't seen The Prestige, but that doesn't seem quite as big. Um, even like Memento, you know, some of these older ones that I'm just not, I'm just daunted by them really. Mm-hmm. Mm. No, I, I, I totally get that. Yeah, the one thing that kind of like didn't shit me at the start, but it is shitting me now, is going, he just doesn't have a sense of humor he is so serious he is so serious it is all like i mean it's 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 well publicized he you know he is colorblind so he sees very much the world i know i'm simplifying it and i do not mean to be offending Uh, he sees everything's just so black and white and that Mm. there is no there's like it's very much like I think his funniest film, and I'm doing that with the biggest quotation marks ever, is Batman Begins because there's mm. a, there's a lot of wisecracking jokes, one-liners in there, but they are delivered so awkwardly, <laughs> which makes them funny because you're laughing they at. They make them so, yeah, you're laughing <laughs> yes. at them, going, "This is someone who Ooh. doesn't." Like, they are aliens from a planet that do not know what jokes are. And so they're, uh, they're saying these things for the first time. It is hilarious. I'm watching it going, yeah, it's it's so awkward and awkwardly placed. And, like, Interstellar is his version of a love story. And you're there going, holy smokes. He just, like, like how serious Don't want to be married to him. <laughs> yes. So... Is there much documented about what he's like to work with as a director? Um, from what I've heard, like a lot of people are very, you know, he's very precise and you can see that mm. with how he makes his movies and, mm. um, the, the, his vision is incredible. Like some of the stuff that he did in, um, uh, Inception is just simply yeah. outstanding. So like the, the, you know, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt's fight scene through the corridors oh, is incredible. Yeah. All that type of stuff is outstanding. Then cutting back and forth with the slow motion of the car falling back, all that type of stuff. He just how he sees his worlds and how he is able to convey, like you say, these almost art house convoluted concepts in and funnel it through a blockbuster um, yeah. sieve is, um, is amazing. Um, but yeah, there hasn't been any negativity about working with okay. him. No one's come out and, and like, uh, uh, sp- spoken about it. I watched, um, um, he's one of his biggest influences, Michael Mann. Michael Mann's one of my favorite film mm. directors and Michael Mann has a very similar, so, uh, a very similar approach to filmmaking, very similar series, very dour, but is able to get comedy out in certain ways. Um, Christopher Nolan kind of. You could see Nolan watching him as a kid going, I like everything about this, but I don't understand the joke, so I'll cut that out. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and I get that. Uh. Uh, on, on the, yeah, on the Heat Blu-ray that I got, they've got a um, like the 25th or 20th anniversary, they did a special screening for the Academy, and they had Christopher Nolan hosted. So they had Bob, Al, and um, Michael Mann there. And he asked this question, and it was like a, a three-minute question that had like 17 different parts. And he turned to them all and said, so what do you think? And De Niro and Michael Mann are just looking at him going, uh... And Al Pacino, who worked with him in Insomnia, goes, don't worry, I'll answer this, okay? <laughs> I'm used to it. I've worked with him before. So it seems like, yeah, he he's so detailed and so uh, it seems like he lets the actors do their thing and he really okay. sees the actors as 
a part of the puzzle as opposed to sometimes you have in quotation marks the actor's director who you know like mm. Ron Howard who was an actor and goes I know how to get the best performances out of them or you know you can see that Nolan's more of a, a technician more of a craftsman and so he yeah. just sees an actor as a part of the instrument as opposed to you know um you know indulging or taking that time to get the best out of them. But I don't I haven't heard any negativity about him and everyone wants to work with him. I mean looking at the actors that are in his films, he kind of like they're all incredible actors in their own right. So like it's almost like they don't even he's able to be more of a technician because they don't need quite as much guidance as other actors might do. Um, and he just gives them the tools that they need and they can really flourish. Yeah, I, I don't think he's ever been the guy to break an actor, to be like, this nah. is the new big thing, this actor. He always works with established performers. Very yeah. much so. He always, yeah, I mean, he, he kind of he kind of introduced... He, he, well, I think the, the biggest actor he made was Tom Hardy. Yeah, that, that's true. Mm. Yeah. Hardy, was, Hardy was working in, the, in a small capacity on little things here and there, he gave him Inception, and then he said, "You know what? No, you're going to be the lead villain in Dark Knight Rises." And then Tom Hardy. And he, yeah, he certainly reintroduced Heath Ledger. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But it is that case of there's been a little bit of criticism about his stories are very boys' club. That he tells men huh. stories about <laughs> men relationships and how men deal with men and women, especially in the Dark Knight movies the female characters are more trophies as opposed to actual yeah. characters. Yeah. Um, and so stuff, when you look at stuff like um, Dunkirk, well, of course there's no women. It's at war. Um, mm. But yeah, you, you look at his films and there is that, that, um, they're the stories that, he's choosing to tell. The stories so. that he yeah. is choosing to tell that he is allowed to tell is a very, you know, in many ways can be seen as an outdated way of storytelling because he tells very much the you know the the white male uh story mm-hmm. that we've we yeah. had all through you know since cinema began really um mm. so yeah he hasn't had that you know you know you see it in inception the the female characters are you know just another part of the cog or his the the you know uh Cobb's wife is this symbol as opposed to an actual character um the trophies in the dark knight trilogy um uh in prestige the women are you know uh, either nuisances are on the side or they are trophies as well it's a mm. it's kind i think probably the most well-rounded character within female character within these stories is probably carrie ann moss's character in and memento so mm-hmm. um yeah i would say that and ellen page because she kind of is your in into inception into you don't really inception, relate yeah. to her like she's not the the viewer's point of view so in terms of character there's not much there but i don't know he tried something different yeah mm. yeah and she is the <laughs> in but she yeah she isn't okay i guess that's a good thing but she isn't it's fine all... fine by it's her. almost like he got he got told this what we're saying and being like <laughs> you don't write women properly and he's like all right and then he tried it and we're like you know what that's fine. You're better at the... Like, just don't worry about it. I kind of see it more. Yeah. He looks at his script for Inception and they say, Chris, we need to do something about the fact with your female characters. And he goes, all right, okay. And crosses out the name of that character and puts Ellen Page's female character and goes, there you go. Got a woman Done. right there. I yeah. can do this. I can speak for the lady. Um, mm. But yeah, so that that is something that I, I have picked up and was pointed out to me and you go, oh, all right. Yeah, okay. That's the... Uh, 
that's the the stories he tells and he's allowed to tell because he has so much power um, Definitely, yes. mm. uh, and I, I assume that yeah from what I've seen so far that um, uh, a tenant is no different yeah it it seems like yeah that's very much staying in that thing it, it's not a white guy this time though so that's exactly exactly changing it up the, a little the shots bit. of the female characters i've seen they are looking um uh, very trophy-esque oh yeah um well let's go through his filmography has anyone else here seen his feature debut following no i've never seen following no yeah, I checked it out. That's the one that I saw. Um, it didn't take long. It's like an hour and ten minutes. But it's an interesting film. It tells the story of this character who is a follower. He picks someone on the street, he follows them, and this one day, he picks the wrong person and uh. gets drawn into a life of crime. Oh. Uh, it's it's so 90s because he's <laughs> like, I'm going to tell my story out of order. What an original thing. And <laughs> it's all right. I, I quite liked it for what it was. I like the style. It's black and white. It's very noir-esque. Uh, super low budget. Just a lot mm. of conversations. The fight scene is hilariously terrible. Uh, so I'm glad there was only one of them. The <laughs> acting is not very good. Well, he cast his uncle in it. Any names um, or is it all uh, no names? It's pretty no much all no names. I think some of them he put in his later movies, but they haven't really become big names since So that's what then. I was hoping for, like, because I like those directors who kind of keep their ensemble and you see them come back. Like, James Gunn loves doing that. He always has Nathan Fillion or he always uses Michael Rooker or, mm. you know, or he has his brother in there. He uses, um, Jeremy Theobald again later in Doodlebug. Yes. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But he, I don't know his name until now, so, um, it's his, it's not his Johnny Depp to his, uh, um, what's his face? <laughs> Tim Burton. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> it's not quite as bad as that. Um, so yeah, okay, so following low budget, black and white, very much, very much the archetypal, you know, white, middle class, uh, uh, filmmaker dude going, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do crime, I'm going to do black and white, I'm going to do serious, I'm going to do violent. Yeah. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. It's very <laughs> much him, like, being like, Pulp Fiction was popular four years ago, uh, <laughs> Seven's coming out, I'm doing that, I'm doing that. Fight Club, I'm doing that, I'm gonna go do that. <laughs> and it's fine, I enjoyed it. It's like a precursor to Memento, I think you could watch them back to back and very much see what early Nolan was about. Oh, the one thing about following that shocked me though, one, they dropped the C-bomb. Which is pretty amazing. And also characters have sex, which is like, that, that, that never happens in a Nolan movie. What's going on here? True. That's true. Oh, Batman. The, Batman, there's a lot of sex. I guess. You never see it. He has a lot of sex. But like, with the bimbos. what kind of level are we talking, Sandra? Like, ex- like uh, fairly... Do you see boobies? Someone's... No, it's just a line. It's just a line of dialogue where someone says, did you sleep with her? And he says, yep. Yeah, that's... Okay, that's Nolan's version of sex. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'd give it like maybe I don't know a schmear. It's, okay. <laughs> um, it's fine. Like it's an hour, so it's not that much of a time waste. Was that his? Was he discovered as a director because of that film? Like was that his? Like you say, it's his debut. But was it? Did people start noticing him after that, or was it still? Did he still have a few more? I mean, like Memento was mm. ten million dollars. I think like that. It's still reasonably expensive that film. So I think. Some people noticed him. Memento's kind of the earliest one that I recognize. Yeah, that's that's the one that put his name on the map, but it's still okay. quite low key. So like he, yeah. so the actors he gets like is Carrie Ann Moss, who had done some big films, but she wasn't a name. You had mm. um, Joe uh, Pantaleone, who'd done like Matrix as well. 
um, yeah. and uh, had you know been a working actor, but you know also did Daredevil. Mm. Um, <laughs> and then you know Guy Pearce, of course, had 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 some success with like LA Confidential, and but hadn't really translated that into. Uh, being a, a a big budget name, and so, the, yeah. so it's it it's it was a ten million dollar film, which is you know a big step up from following, but it's a very low budget film in relation to yeah. But it was his first American film as well, so you could see he'd worked his way to get to that point, and from Memento onwards, that's where he established himself as a okay. went, Ooh, I run, is you move? Yeah, definitely. I think Memento. Uh, see, I used to love it. I like if, yeah. if this was me five years ago, I, I would have been like, hell yeah, two thumbs up. I love this stuff. But now, like looking back on it, in compared to other films that I thought that way about five years ago stuff like seven uh stuff like tarantino's filmography i still love those to that level this i rewatched it like two years ago and i was like oh okay yeah that was fine like mm. my opinion of memento has dropped quite a bit yeah i've only seen it once i only saw it once in the cinema and went yeah that's enough for me um yeah uh yeah i went no i don't think i can watch this film again it's very depressing it's oh, yeah. very, yeah. very i saw it for the first time maybe six seven years ago um and it was talked up by my partner at the time big nolan guy and he you gotta watch it you gotta watch it and almost talked it up so much that i knew what to expect um and so i wasn't surprised by the twist or the tattooing of things to remind like I've seen it done better in things like, I don't know, isn't there an episode of Doctor Who where they, um, when they turn away, they forget, but they start writing stuff on their hands? Yes, yes, <laughs> yep, that's yep. The, uh, the silence, yeah. the silence. The silence. Of like, yes, yeah, yes. thank you, Rob. The silence, like, same kind of thing, and I preferred that. <laughs> <Yeah. so. laughs> the silence is great. I love the silence. I think with Memento as well, it's so much of its time. It's ve- it's a very yeah. 2000 movie. <laughs> very. Yeah, yes, yes, it is. Yeah, but it is a stepping stone. You can see yes. him laying the groundwork for, for better things to come. Yes. Yeah. It's definitely, like, I would say it's a good movie, and if you haven't seen it yet, check it out. But there's a reason people don't talk about it as much as they did five years ago. Yeah. Mm. But then he followed that up with Insomnia, which is the only one I haven't seen. Uh, Rob, you've seen it, though. Okay. What is it? I, uh, Insomnia is great. He, it's 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 a remake of a, um, a Norwegian film um, uh, starring Stellan Starsgaard, our um, um, uh, personal favourite of mine, Stellan Starsgaard from, you know, uh, Good Will Hunting and, of course, um, the Marvel Universe. Um <laughs> Uh, so yeah, basically it's um, it's that that Scandi drama type stuff before it became Scandi drama. Um, so basically, um, two city cops are flown up to Alaska to investigate um, uh, a girl's murder. Um, and of course, when they get there, uh, they realise it's um, during the uh, midnight sun, so it's daylight, twenty four hours a day. Um, they're hunting down this 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 uh, this killer, and while they're investigating, um, uh, Al Pacino's character is dealing with corruption issues back home, and so this is a way of him escaping that. And his partner is tied in with possibly making a deal. And um, while they are hunting down this killer of this young girl, um, uh, there's there's mist. There's he's not sleeping well, and there's an accident, and he 
thinks he's shooting at the killer, but he actually kills his partner. And nobody sees it, and so he covers it up and says that it was the killer that shot um, his partner uh-huh. dead. Um, and as the partner's dying, he's there going, you did this on purpose, and like this type of stuff. And um, there's only one person who saw it, and that's the murderer. So mm-hmm. he, he then starts to strike up this connection and bond with the cop about we're in this together and the, the killer's played by Robin Williams. Um, and, it, and so um, uh, Hilary Swank's in it as uh, the young upstart cop who works in Alaska. And so it's, uh, it's all about his descent into him covering up this issue, him sharing this secret with the killer and the killer's there going, well, if you let you capture me, I'm going to reveal you. And he's not sleeping because he can't sleep with all the sunlight. And so he's getting more and more um, delusional. He can't see things clearly. He's, Mm. his judgment slipping up. And so therefore someone like Robin Williams can take advantage of that because he's not sleeping and he's losing his mind. Um, And, you know, how far you're willing to go to cover up and run away from the mistakes you've made. Um, It's, it's actually, and it, it, it's it. There's so much dread in the film, and Robin Williams delivers an incredible performance. And so it's it's during his um, Axis of Evil um, uh, series in the early 2000s when he he made three incredible films. He made Insomnia, he made One Hour Photo, and he made Death to Smoochie. Um, and they were the three. Uh, three of his best and his last three good films. After that, he made nothing good he made like rv he made um license to wed or whatever that film was with john krasinski and mandy moore he he made like nothing he there's it was the so, slow decline of, uh, of our beautiful robin um but those three f- hot films where he plays these monstrous people um were his final last hurrah and in this in this he is so seductive there are moments where he's talking and he's not playing the evil guy i bring up the quotes again he he just he's there talking as a guy they're going i didn't do this i'm you know i didn't you know you, you don't and there's a part where they're going oh my god i'm almost believing him you go no maybe he didn't yeah, yeah. and that, um, and when i first saw it i went oh that's not a good performance at all there was no menace there was no evil go no that's a fucking incredible performance because you don't play it like the bad guy he played it like you know I'm, just, I'm i'm the innocent one here you know i've been put in this situation and because of al pacino's character is caught up in his inability to sleep and think properly he starts to get seduced and it's just mm. yeah it's it's it, he played it like OG Cape Fear as opposed to yeah. Robert De Niro Cape yeah. Fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't have Scorsese there going, what we need to do is just amp up everything 150%. So yeah. I really like Insomnia. Um, I, 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 I like it a lot. I haven't haven't seen it for a couple of years, but I've. it's one I chuck on and you get caught up in the, in, in the tension of it. And that's where I think that Nolan hit his straps. So mm. Awesome. Uh, yeah, you have sold me. I'm going to try and check that out. That sounds really good. Yeah. Let's move on to Batman Begins. Now, we already talked about the Dark Knight trilogy a few episodes ago, uh, like a month or two ago, because I know you rewatched them, Rob. Uh, Batman Begins, though, it's a very good one. I really like it. My issue with all three Batman movies is in the final act, there's always a ticking clock about a thing that is either polluting the water or polluting the air, and I'm so sick of it. I'll just, just stop it, Nolan. <laughs> Every time. 
every time it's like, <laughs> we've got to turn off the machine that's polluting the water. And I'm like, I, I don't just have Batman punch some people. Like, I don't want him to, to worry about turning off a machine. But aside from that, Batman Begins is fantastic. It's interesting because yeah. I think that The Dark Knight is the best Batman film. But if I had a choice between watching any of them, I would pick Batman Begins because Dark Knight is so heavy. Me too. I mm-hmm. think it is fantastic. I think it's essentially a perfect superhero movie, but uh, I will only watch it once every, like, four years or something just because Yeah. Am I right in saying, remembering that it, Batman Begins was the first Batman movie we'd had in a while when it came out? No, that was... There was a no? lot... Well, it, it was had been... So it came out 2004, five. So it was only about nine, eight or nine years since um, uh, Batman and Robin. Okay. So the, okay. the main, this is this is the funny thing. It, at that time, everyone was going, gee, we only had a last Batman film like about eight or nine years ago. Is that, is yep. that too soon? Well, because for me, nine years earlier, what's that, 2005? So what, 1996? I was only six so I didn't have, like, I wouldn't have seen that until later, really. Like, Batman and Robin wasn't really on my radar. So when Batman Begins came out for me, that was, like, my first, I was 15, my first Batman movie as an adult, mm. sort of. Yeah. So I, it's really there in my memory, and that's why it is my favourite, because I remember being like, whoa, I thought Batman was, for, like, the kids' stuff. Like, I loved the, uh, um, which one's with the Riddler? Um, Batman Forever. Batman Forever. And that I, w- I remember watching that when I was younger and then Batman Begins coming out and me being like, oh, this is like a serious Batman <laughs> film. And this is like for adults. And I went and got, I got to see it at the cinema without my parents and like being like, oh, it's dark, like so different. Um, and I think that's why I, it's my favorite because of that sort of connection mm. um, and like getting a bit more of an origin where I've only ever seen, I hadn't read any of the comics, so I'd only ever seen um the ones that throw you in midway through as opposed to like an origin um, story. Yeah, we've never yeah. got a Batman origin and now like mm. everyone's doing origin ones. Yeah. But what I like about yeah. um, the Batman coming out, they've pushed it very much as this is Batman year two, yes. which is the yeah. great. He's been around for you know, a year or so. Uh, yeah. So there's that still that unease, but he's... We're not going to have the the ripping off of the pearls scene. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! I assume. A, look, we probably will. If yeah, if we don't, I'll be very very surprised. Again, that is a bold move not to have the pearls. How many more ways can you show someone ripping a string of pearls off someone's neck? Mm. Yeah, yeah, Snyder's there going hmm by having a Jesus <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> Damn it, Snyder! Every time, of course he does. Every time. <laughs> um, so yeah, because for, for me. I yeah I grew up with the the Super Friends Batman. I watched the Batman sixty mm. uh, series, and for me that was like I've said many many times before. I was a kid, so I watched the Batman sixties movie, and I thought it was pure drama. That was like <laughs> yeah, you know, that was like House of Cards to me. Um, <laughs> so like Shark Repellent Bat Spray comes out, and my dad's pissing himself in the kitchen. I'm turning around going, "Do you mind, Dad? This is." This is some serious stuff here. How else are you meant to? Yeah. Get, how else are you meant to get a shark off your leg, Dad? Of course. Just could you just not? Okay, take this seriously. Yeah. Um, so when Batman came out, I remember in '89, um, I went with my dad. That was like the last film. I was in year six, and so it was the last film. I went to the movies with my dad. That was the last time. Like he had to accompany us because we were too young. But after that, I could like go to the movies on my own, uh, or with, well, with my friends. Um, and I remember finishing the Batman movie, and I didn't like how the Joker killed his parents. 
Thrones. Um, and I didn't mm. like how the Joker couldn't fight back. And at the end of it, I literally turned to my my dad and I went, I prefer the 60s Batman. <laughs> <laughs> He's um, like, well, I'm glad I paid that six dollar <laughs> movie ticket and two dollars for popcorn. Um, Sorry. <laughs> damn you kid. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Batman Begins very much has that essence of what had never been seen in the Batman cinema universe that was so crucial in the comic book era like actually having Mm. the final scene with you know gordon and batman at the top of you know uh, on on the top of uh police of of police headquarters with the bat signal you know that type of stuff you're going yeah and having a conversation about what's coming up you know the batman not really killing i know there's the contentious line of you know i'm not going to kill you but i'm not going to save you type of thing um uh, yeah, and like bringing life into Bruce Wayne as a character, um, and even though the comedy is awkwardly delivered, um, it's it's very comic booky as well, as opposed to The Dark Knight, which is very much what if Michael Mann made it is what if Michael Mann made Batman, and it is, but it's too clever by half. I always say this: the Joker has to have. 87 contingency plans and he has to be aware that all of them are going to happen. I'm going really, 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 (laughs) really. Um, So like the performances are amazing. It is shot incredibly. There's some, I like Heath Ledger. It is, you know, it is heartbreaking and inspiring to watch. Um, It's a little bit too clever. And then you get to the dark Knight rises and it's just, it's how could everything go so wrong? It's a case of just go, Wow everything is just you've got too much and you and you say nothing which is quite interesting to watch yeah yeah with the dark knight the plot it is very messy and Mm. that is yeah probably an issue with it that i would agree with but then at the same time i feel like batman begins is also very messy in terms of the plot oh very much so very much so but at least it 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 Especially that that final sequence, it's very comic booky. Like you know, we have yeah. we have to the train is going and it has to be here and you've got all this and you've got all that and they're going. It's very comic booky, but within the next one, it takes itself so seriously. Yeah, and it goes, no, no, we did this all on purpose. And it's like with Nolan going, I'm going to make a romantic film, Interstellar, and you go, holy shit. Um, it's like in uh, Bat in the Dark Knight. It's like you know he had all the Joker had. 87 million contingency plans, but he didn't think that people would just do the decent thing. It's very, very odd. And it's <laughs> that's him going, see, humanity is good. And I'm going, wow, I just got hit by that crowbar. Thank you so much, Christopher Nolan. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I think the other thing with the final act of Batman Begins, and one of the reasons why I don't love it as much now is because it was very much the first film to do that sort of ending in terms of a comic book movie. Like, that did kind of set the standard for comic book movies for the next uh, 15 years. I mean, they're still doing it, except now it's blue lasers in the sky. But I think that's over now, so I'm glad. Um, Blue lasers in the sky, and also, but all that whole CGI creature up against CGI creature, which Marvel Marvel brought in and they kind of took over. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that final act, I think, yeah, I, I do kind of zone out in it. Whereas compared to the Dark Knight final act, the performances are good enough to carry the ridiculousness of it. And it is a little bit less high stakes, I guess, than Begins. I don't know. I like them both 
equally. <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> and no talk about the ending of The Dark Knight Rises, because no. what, so Bruce Wayne's just going to retire? Um, no. Um, hmm. Oh, and, and he's going to just give everything to Joseph Gordon-Levitt's? Really? You're going to give it to the guy, to the, the kid from Third Rock from the Sun? Really? 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 Yeah. And his name's Robin, so that's not going to be like a... Oh, we'll just do a cute little reference there. No, 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 no. It's going to confuse the fuck out of everybody (laughs) from general passers-by with cinema to hardcore Batman fans (laughs) that people still argue about it now. Going, so is he Robin? No, it's Dick Grayson, but why is he Robin? So is he going to go into the Batcave and become Robin? No, he's going to be going into... And Nolan's rubbing his hands together going, this is exactly what I wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Absolute chaos. I hate you all, Batman fans. Yeah. I'm the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dark Knight Rises was so similar to Batman versus so- Superman in that he was just like, hmm, what <gasps> story should I adapt? Everything. Everything oh, in the one movie. Mm, both mums and Marthas. Oh, <laughs> or Mar- is it Martha? Yeah. Martha, yeah, yeah. Martha. It, is, it is something that you know, comic book fans have known for years and going, <laughs> Yeah, of course. And they go, oh, really? You're going to hinge an entire movie on that? Really, Zack Snyder? <laughs> now we're best friends. Oh, Batman versus... And Superman. he could have made that a funny moment, but once again, no sense of humour. No yeah. sense of humour. No sense of humour. Yeah, him and Snyder are very much in the way of, uh, yeah, just just, just have a laugh. Seriously. Which makes sense, because mm. after Dark Knight Rises, he did co-write Man of Steel, and I feel like those two films... Mm. Very similar, but I prefer Man of Steel. But my opinion on Superman movies, I, 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 I'll probably need a whole episode to go on that rant because there isn't a good <laughs> Superman movie. I will put that out there. Wow. The movies themselves are good, but there isn't a good Superman movie. Okay. We'll, 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 we'll deal with the, <laughs> the balance of one. Christopher Reeve movie uh, later on. Mm. Yes, but The Prestige. The Prestige is an M. Light Shyamalan movie in that it is a lead up to a twist and then you're like, that's a cool twist and then it ends and you forget about it. That's that film. <laughs> it, it, is, it is a film where you go, you know what the big twist is in this magic movie? It's real. Magic, magic is real. And you <laughs> go, oh shit. <laughs> All right. It's okay. not, I remember, it's not yeah. very good looking back look, on the press. Look, I, I remember I, I, I was really hyped to see it. And I even bought the book before it came out and I started reading it and I got bored. And then I watched the movie. And like I think it's the, it is in many ways, I, th- I think it is, and I'll stand by this, the best thing that Jackman's done on the big screen. I think Ooh, he okay. just. Sh- he shows his range as an actor. He he's, he's funny in in some of his personas with the double with the f- weird teeth. He's good with the showman style of being a magician. He can handle the the pathos of living his love one. He's got all the elements to it. It's I remember going now. This is Jackman showing himself at his best, um, and because sometimes he gets too overblown by being the movie star or the Wolverine or, you know, or doing The Greatest Showman where you're going, stop. Ugh, just don't watch that movie. I think <laughs> that's a... Yeah. I saw it for the first time. Yet, oh, no. How'd you go? I'll talk about it next episode. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I oh, because it's, it's on Disney Plus, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, for me, it's a good Jackman film where he's not being Hugh Jackman, the superstar. He's actually being the yeah. the actor, and mm. and mm. and that balance is quite good. I remember that being quite good. 
I think it was the first time I ever saw Scarlett Johansson as well. I think I saw this and the wow. island very close together. Oh, and I was really? Like, oh, oh I like Johansson. A little eight-year-old me being like, Scarlett Johansson's cool. Um, She's cool. Had you had, so you hadn't? Oh, of course you wouldn't have seen it. Um, yeah, the first thing I saw her in was not not the Horse Whisperer. Um, <laughs> Uh, um, Lost in Translation is oh, right. she's just, yeah, she's, same. just yeah. she's just incredible. Yeah, uh, Jen, what do you think of Inception? D- does it hold up? Yeah, look, I think I need to rewatch. Like I've seen it twice. I think the first time I came out of the cinema going, I don't know what I what just happened, <laughs> and then the second time, kind of similar. But what I like about that film and any film that has that kind of like something within a something within a something, like Interstellar, similar as well just like it sparks conversation and like people trying to just like matrix did it the same thing for me like oh no that bit when that happened that meant this no 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 because like when they went into the dream and the time doubled and like i love that kind of those kind of films that do that they frustrate the shit out of me because i don't like it when i don't understand something off the bat and when i'm in the cinema going i want to ask the person i'm sitting next to something but I can't ask them because I'm still learning like what's happening next like um so you have to wait till afterwards and then you forget what you were going to talk about anyway but that just that so you don't want to be like Homer Simpson going who's that guy who's that guy what do you You know I don't get Simpsons references there's a there's a moment (laughs) but yeah there's a moment where Homer's there going who's that guy wait a minute what that guy say when I ask who's that guy (laughs) yes (laughs) like because a lot of the time I'll go to ask a question then it'll probably be explained yeah but Mm. something like Inception they're like here it all is but we're not gonna we're not gonna give you the answer yeah and that kind of shat me the first time I saw it I was like I need to know did it drop did it keep spinning forever like is it a dream I need to know um and I like that. I like what happens after you leave the cinema, that discussion and what we do on this podcast, obviously, as well. Um, in terms of film, like like I said, I haven't. I, maybe I haven't seen it since then. I've seen it twice. Um, again, I, it's been a few years. I'd need to rewatch it. But it's one of those films that you see it, you're mind blown, you talk about it. You see it the second time, not as mind blown because you kind of know what to expect. And then I'm worried that now I won't like it very much at all. Like it's it's glimmer, it's glamour has will wear off. I find that with a lot of Nolan films, like they it, he glamours you, and then when you start actually start thinking about it properly, and then you rewatch it, and you're like, ah, oh, it's actually not that good once that initial glamour kind yeah, of wears off. I can com- I yeah, completely agree. Definitely. I completely. And agree. I think that's why I've only a lot of them. Not mm. only are they, I don't really feel like watching them again, but that I'm worried that that's what's going to happen yeah. if I rewatch yeah. a lot of them. So I haven't watched in, in rewatching Interstellar um, since I saw it because I'm too scared because I've really liked it. <laughs> yeah, there's some, there's some like he's got good vision. Like when he has his own point of view, he seems for me he's like very much he's just copied everything that Michael Mann did, um, mm. but has more money to do it. But he yeah. doesn't. Oh, under- visually. But he doesn't he, yeah. visually. Yes, but he doesn't understand the emotion behind anything. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and I think that's it. Like I'm so impressed by the special effects and then yes realize that the story is actually not that great yeah like yeah. like he, the the first time we see batman in batman begins the choice to shoot mm. that whole sequence like batman is the monster in an in a mm. horror film mm. inspired yeah. the fact that he uses mm. so many practical um effects in inception so like the fight scene they you know he had Amazing. enough money to turn the whole fucking 
hotel room and corridor around. So those types around, yeah. yeah. So using that type of Michelle Gondry type of style of going, let's just shoot this with what we have, uh, but on yeah. a larger scale. Um, yeah. Those type of things stay. And but, mm. so the, like the, the, the impressive trailer shots where they have the whole, you know, cityscape turning in on itself, you go, eh, yeah. eh, meh. But those practical things that he does when he's actually not relying on special effects, he's actually relying on his eye and his yeah. world, that type of stuff yeah. lingers, that stuff stays. Yeah. Mm. And I'm sure, and rewatching, I'll still be like, oh, that's awesome. But yeah, the initial, um, almost like, blinding you with these bright light fancy smoke and mirrors and then um once that's worn off you're kind of like oh that will just yeah okay (laughs) yeah 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 i think as a visual piece i would be interested in rewatching inception because i always love the visual soundtrack as well but i remember and i told this uh story in uh, the dreamscape episode of oldie but a goodie because turns out inception and dreamscape are weirdly similar um (laughs) Yes, yes, they are. I would have been 12 when Inception came out, and mm. uh, a lot of the talk amongst my peers was this film so clever and complicated, and you're going to watch it, yeah. and you're going to be like, oh, i got to watch it a second time to understand what's going on. So I went and saw it, and I was like, yeah, I, I know what happened. Yeah. Well, you're smarter than me, Sandra. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think maybe 2010, that was when uh, Stephen Moffat's run at Doctor Who started, and okay. that was way more complicated than Inception. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think that might be it, but uh, mm. yeah, the the film's plot always kind of um, annoyed me because I thought it was very simple. Um, well, yeah. now I'm like rethinking, like, what is it actually about? And I'm like, oh, they're just trying to plant that little idea in that dude's head. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. It's kind well, of a heist <laughs> movie as well, which is yeah. cool. Yeah, and it's, it's very yeah, much, it's true. it follows the same tropes of a heist movie or those type of war movies um, like The Dirty Dozen that Rogue One got a lot of criticism for and we talked about it in a previous podcast, check it out, where everyone goes, where are the where are the characters? Where are the characters? Where are the characters? Going, no, they're just archetypes and that's okay. Yeah. That's what they're there for. They're filling that function as in that genre of film. And it's the same with mm. Inception. You don't really know more of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character or Tom Hardy. No. Or even Ellen Page, you meet them and they are the exact same. They are a type, and you know, and and they do their thing, and then they go. They fill their function within the film, um, and so that's kind of what, in, especially in Exception, they are f- they they are the pieces of a puzzle as opposed to yeah, you know, a yeah. well-rounded character that evolves Rounded and changes. Yeah. yeah, and I think you go in these films expecting well-rounded characters, so you are taken a little off when you don't get them, and then you remember. what the film's about and you go oh well yeah (laughs) yes what did i expect yeah yes yes um moving on to interstellar then uh first time i saw it i I don't think i saw this one in cinemas i think this is the only nolan movie from uh in from dark knight onwards that i didn't see in cinemas and i can't quite remember why um and i think that did kind of put a bit of a damper on my thoughts on it originally i love the slow ending I i love the slow start rather Mm. i quite like that um i love the aspect ratio changes that was one of the first times i noticed that the aspect ratio can change to set the scene for certain stuff and i thought that was really cool shooting from Mm. widescreen to imax yeah i remember crying at one point but that's not really saying much because i cried drop the hat (laughs) i feel like there's a sad part in there or no i remember crying when they get 
whoever goes out onto the planet and comes back and everyone's aged oh, yeah. a bunch. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I think I just got like really overwhelmed and being like, oh my God, <laughs> imagine that. Um, I think I, I spent most of the film being overwhelmed um, because like, I don't know why, but good overwhelmed, like being like, this is bigger than my brain can, can, you know, conceive. And then I remember really being invested in that moment where, I, again, it's going to be really vague because I can't remember the specifics, but she's in the she's in the library and she gets the message and then it's like a race against time kind of situation um, and me being literally on the edge of my seat. So I remember really enjoying this film a lot and hating Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> but predicting that as well. Yeah, the Matt Damon yeah. sequence was so funny because everyone was it, pretending like he's in this movie and he's not credited and you'll never guess yeah. who's in it. And yeah. you see it and you're like, oh, cool, Matt Damon's in this. Matt Damon. Oh, God, and you're like, yeah, I forgot that Matt Damon's yeah. in it. That's right. Yeah. Is he the one um, they're looking for at the yeah. end? Yeah, and then it's actually he's the baddie and all that. Yeah. That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Spoilers, I really liked it, but I haven't rewatched it, so... Yeah, I got to see it in IMAX for the first time. Um, um, so, yeah, all, the cinematography is incredible, especially the space sequences. I remember seeing it in IMAX on IMAX camera and you just they're mm. going, it's, it, it creates, it's oppressive how vast and it makes you feel like space is, because you're so used to, you know, the cinema vision of space where you have like, you know, the star destroyer coming over the top of you, you have, you yeah. know, the enterprise warping through space um, or you have 2001, the iconic version of space that, you know, how they present it that way. But um, uh, Nolan presented this different way of sort of like every shot is the spaceship is so tiny and everything yeah. around it is so immense that you just feel so tiny and so insignificant within that entire shot. You get lost within it. Um, that type of stuff was well done. Um, uh, and that use of whole, you know, that, you know, Earth, the different planets move at different rotations. So you arrive there yeah. and your time moves slower than everywhere else type of stuff is was in, incredible. But it's, it's, you know, that whole... It's that whole thing. It's kind of like what was done in um, uh, Contact, and kind of like done in other films. When you go, okay, we've got to get to this point. What are we going to do? Well, we're just going to, you know, get, you know, you see people, or you, you know, love will get you out of this. All right, okay, that's it. Yeah, there we go. Really, Nolan? Yeah. All right. It's um, yeah. Okay. Have it's you... kind of like the Interstellar yeah. was inside of your heart this whole time. <laughs> was the yeah, and he's going. Go off and get Anne Hathaway. She's out there somewhere, but she's always been in your heart. <laughs> you know, set phases to love me, that type of thing. Yeah. There's also a great meme that they made out of that one scene where he's watching the years of the messages, the different mess video messages come through. Yeah. Um, and that the meme now that they've just changed whatever he's watching, <laughs> dog videos, cat videos, and he's crying. Yeah. It's great. But I remember that scene actually making... Again, I probably cried during that scene as well. Um, I think I just like the concept of space and just freaks me out. Like, And I, that's why I love like the books that I... Sci-fi books that I read, anything that involves space. Not so much time travel, but the time, the relative time when you go to space like um, that is there. Fucking scares the shit out of me. And I think that's why I love that kind of stuff. You know, you watch horror films because you like a scare. I watch these kind of space films because i'm like that's terrifying and i never want to go to space that was awesome <laughs> yeah well there's you know one of the best episodes of 
uh, Peter Capaldi's last season of Doctor Who, Oxygen, it, the opening speech is space will kill you. Space, space is all yeah. about killing you, every single way of killing you. It is not a nice place. It is just a, spa- a place of death. And you go, okay, cool. This is a family-friendly Doctor Who show. Cool. Uh, and then after Interstellar, his final movie, uh, as of yet, the final one that we have seen is Dunkirk. Am I the only person who's seen it? I haven't. I haven't seen it, yeah. I don't like war films, but then... I've mentioned this for 1917, so um, <laughs> I can my, my mind can be changed. Yeah, I think it's a good precursor to 1917, but this is uh, yeah. probably my least favourite Nolan film. <laughs> right, okay. okay. Um, everyone loved it. Everyone loved it when it came out, and I went into it yep. with super high expectations, but I think it's so try-hard. It's, so, it's trying so hard to be really artsy and really... Mm. Um, like it's going back to uh, the timeline is all messed up. Things aren't shown in chronological order. How clever is that? And I'm thinking, oh, just show me it in order. Like, I'll just, yeah, I think because a lot of the time they do it for the sake of it. It doesn't actually br- it doesn't bring anything to the yeah. narrative for me. I'm just like, oh, yeah. and now I'm confused. <laughs> and it, yeah, it, it definitely doesn't bring anything to the the narrative of this. Damn. Um, there's some things that I think are interesting. Uh, there there is a ticking clock that continues to tick throughout the course of the movie. I think it might get a little bit faster in near the end. Oh, which God. is an interesting idea, but there's mental. no reason why it should be there. It's there for the, the sake of it. Like, you compare that to the beating heart in Mike Flanagan's uh, Doctor Sleep adaptation. Like, there is yeah. a beating heart that, that you can just hear audibly for the majority of that movie, and that's there mm. for a reason, because that's the main character's heartbeat. You know, it kind of, like, yeah. it's a cue... For you to be like, that's how that person's feeling. The ticking clock in this is just like Nolan's being like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if there was a clock? <laughs> is it annoying? Do you like? Do you find that you tune it out, or is it annoying? Uh, it wasn't too bad when I was in the cinema. Okay, I wonder what his intention is there. Is it meant to be like, obviously symbolic of something, and meant to make you feel like you're racing against the clock? Yeah, well, like... they they kind of were because you know they were they were trapped on. Dunkirk yeah. and, and you know they were driven back and they they were they were pretty much going to be slaughtered unless you know the the ships yeah made it across it, that channel again the same with interstellar it looks great it looks fantastic mm. uh i love the sound design uh for explosions and gunshots because it's super fucking loud like it just deafens <laughs> you it's so ridiculously loud whenever there is a gunshot or an explosion or a plane just flying overhead i really like that oh, sort, of, sort of stuff but again that was done in 1917 which is a better movie so just watch that yeah. Um, and it's he works with Hardy again, and it's his first time working with Kenneth Branagh, who comes back in who's in Tenant. So, um, so that that's interesting. And I think it's got the guy who, and it's also got the guy who played Jarvis in the uh, cancelled far too early um, masterpiece that was Agent Carter. It does. Yeah, I can't remember who anyone plays, but the cast was really good. Um, Harry Styles was in it, and everyone was like, how cool is it that Harry Styles is in yeah. a movie? He, he comes up good. first on the cast listing on Google. <laughs> yeah, of course he does. <laughs> Seems strange. Classic Google. I will say, though, if you do watch Dunkirk, watch it back-to-back with Darkest Hour, because they work really well okay. together, because they're both kind of about Dunkirk. So, But which, I think they which work... would... Watch Dunkirk first and then Darkest Hour, or the other way around? I'd say Dunkirk first, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. In, in terms of pacing and the epicness 
that probably wouldn't really work, but in terms of the narrative, I think Dunkirk first is better. Okay. Uh, that is our Christopher Nolan retrospective right there. And this episode has been a little longer than usual, um, but, you know, why not? It's our second episode back, and also episode 49, and episode 50 is a milestone episode, I think. So. Oh, we've grown so much, Sandro. We've grown so much as we're two white guys doing a podcast alone, and then we bring in a white chick. Oh, we're just... <laughs> diversified very Nolan of you guys <laughs> there is nothing I'm waiting for the the emails where it's like we've really liked um a little bit of Jen like a bit of ha- having a woman but like feel free to just go back to your uh your old like just the two of you. there just is nothing boys. there is nothing trophy or you know token about you Jen Spears <laughs> no thank you I bring the tears, you know. What do you think of this movie, Jen? Well, I cried. Um, so <laughs> yeah, next, that doesn't ne- mean anything. From now on, we go. So with this movie, Spearsy, how much did you cry? <laughs> four <laughs> tears. Four tears out of five. Four tears out of five. <laughs> Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that easily. Feedback.nerdout at gmail.com is our email address or message us on Instagram or Facebook. All the links in the description. Let us know what you think about Christopher Nolan and his various movies. Also, next week we are reviewing Bill and Ted Face the Music, mm-hmm. uh, which is out right now as of the release of this episode. So go watch that. Send us an email. Uh, we mm. record on Tuesdays. So... That's when you can get your email in, feedback.nodeout at gmail.com, or, yes, as I mentioned, Facebook or Instagram. Things to plug. Uh, this week on Oldie But a Goodie, we are reviewing a movie called Chud, which stands for Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dwellers. It's a Love that. sci-fi B-movie that we thought was going to be a gross splatter pick. Turns out it's actually a pretty solid mystery movie, so check that out on Monday if you want. Have you got anything to plug, Rob? No. Have you got anything <laughs> to Hashtag COVID-19. I do not. <laughs> Jen. All right. Well, that is the episode then. Uh, until we see you next week, make sure that you continue to nerd out. Living in denial, living in denial, living in denial.